When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tins. I'm your host, Scott Bellman, and it's time for yet another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, gear, specifically filters, keeps a lot of hobbyists and manufacturers quite busy as they kind of wrap their head around which ones are the best to use in, you know, aquariums, specifically botanical method aquariums. I, I get this question constantly. Uh, We've talked about it before, and the reality is that you can use pretty much any type of filter available for aquariums, or even none at all. Well, more specifically, you could actually use the tank itself, essentially the botanical environment as the biological filter, and I say that in air quotes, and simply use aeration or surface skimming and or circulation pumps to facilitate the gas exchange. This is not revolutionary, of course, but it's an idea that's often overlooked today. We're obsessed with having, you know, big badass filters loaded with media to, you know, polish the water and do what exactly? To fight nature? Because that's what a lot of this stuff actually does when you really think about it. It's to correct, and again, I say that in quotes, to correct stuff that is out of balance or whatever, right? I mean, we've been told for generations that filters remove solid chemical and biological waste from our aquarium water. I mean, they do, but they don't do it without attention and regular maintenance and, of course, media. And filter media get clogged, chemical media become exhausted, and impellers and intakes need cleaning. And they don't just take out, you know, bad stuff. They remove stuff indiscriminately, and some of which is required to be present in the aquarium in order to have an ecologically functional system. So I can't help but wonder if we've come so under the spell of technology that a good percentage of hobbyists are, you know, 100% convinced that you can't run a successful aquarium without a fairly sophisticated filter or some kind of filter, at least. Yeah. Now, I beg to differ, of course. And this sad reality is, though, I think a lot of aquarists simply cannot run their tanks without very capable filtration. It sounds harsh, but if you go on, you know forums and Facebook groups and, and you know, based on the, the random survey of these questions I see on Facebook groups and forums where hobbyists are posting that they're struggling to keep their tanks, you know, clean and you see these kind of ugly tanks with really cloudy water and whatever, I'd say that we've created a sort of strange dependency on the technology of filters. And it goes hand in hand with a disdain for and a dependency on water exchanges. And heavy, you know, the need to heavily siphon out detritus and stuff from our tanks is we're apparently convinced that any amount of this stuff accumulating in our tanks is a recipe for certain disaster. We've made it a real chore and we've turned water exchanges into an urgent yet, you know, loathsome process that literally keeps our fish tanks from teetering over the edge toward disaster. As a hobby, I think that we've been so aggressive at keeping our tanks near sterile that the importance of water exchanges has shifted from a means to reintroduce a a fresh suite of trace elements and remove a few residual organics into an essential way to remove liquid and solid waste from our tanks. It's like the whole game. So we're so obsessed with sterility 
and in doing so, we regularly wipe out the population of beneficial organisms which keep our tanks functioning biologically. Aesthetics first has created this weird dichotomy, in my opinion. Like, people on social media will ooh and ah when pics of beautiful wild aquatic habitats, many of which absolutely look nothing like what we do in aquariums, are shared, and people love that stuff. They'll comment on how amazing nature is and, you know, you know, admire the, you know, in, in, in the instance of the pictures we quote, the, the, we show the leaf litter beds and the tinted water and all that stuff. Yet when it comes to time to create an aquarium, they'll almost always opt out of attempting to create such a tank in their home and instead create a surgically sterile aquatic art piece instead. Now, look, I think it's okay that people execute aquariums that reflect their taste, but I think it's because we've been convinced by, well, almost everybody in the hobby that it's not advisable or practical or even possible to create a truly functional natural aquarium system. It's easier to look for the, you know, sexiest named rock and designer wood and mimic some award-winning aquascape instead. I know, ouch, here we go again. But really, I think that many hobbyists have lost sight of the fact that we're, uh, there are just enormous populations of organisms which reside in their aquariums, which process, utilize, and assimilate the waste materials that everyone's so concerned about. We've become convinced that technology is like our salvation. Now, the reality is that a convergence of simple technology and an embracing of fundamental ecology is what makes a successful aquarium. It's what makes them, well, successful. In many cases, notice the caveat I used many, in many cases you don't need huge capacity, ultra-powerful filtration to keep your tank healthy. You don't need massive water exchanges and ultra-meticulous water exchange siphoning sessions to, you know, sustain your aquarium for indefinite periods of time. What you need is a combination of a decent filter system, a regular schedule of simple water exchanges, and a healthy and unmolested microbiome of beneficial organisms within your aquarium. That's what you need. I've touched on this hundreds of times in the tin and elsewhere, but I think that we as a hobby have sort of forgotten some of the fundamentals of aquarium management, function, and process, and somehow glorified acquiring pricey gear and solutions and implementing you know, can only be described as draconian procedures of massive water changes as uh, water exchanges, excuse me, as standard operating procedure for running successful aquariums. We've left the idea of the aquarium, or more specifically, the microbiome of organisms within the aquarium, helping to create optimized conditions for our fishes somewhere in the, you know, misty past of the hobby. In the botanical method aquarium that we espouse here, ecology is like nine-tenths of the game. I mean, think about it, this simple fact. The botanical materials present in our systems provide enormous surface area upon which beneficial bacterial biofilms and fungal growths can colonize. These life forms utilize the organic compounds present in the water as a nutritional source, and they support other microorganisms, which support our fishes. Oh, the part about the biofilms and the fungal growth sounds awful familiar, doesn't it? I mean, let's talk about our buddies, the biofilms, one more time, right? Because nothing seems as contrary to many hobbyists than to sing the praises of these gooey-looking strands of you know, bacterial goodness in your tank. Now, structurally, biofilms are surprisingly strong. They offer their colonial members sort of onboard nutritional sources and exchange of metabolites, protection, and cellular communication. They form extremely rapidly on just about any hard surface that's submerged in water. So when I see it in aquarium writings where they talk about biofilms being a nuisance 
and suggestions that it can be eliminated by reducing nutrients in the aquarium, I usually cringe. Mainly because no matter what you do, biofilms are ubiquitous and they're always present in our aquarium somewhere. We may not see the famous long stringy snot of our nightmares, but the reality is that they're present in our tanks regardless. And it's perfectly fine. The other reality is that biofilms are something that we as aquarists typically fear because of the way they look. And in and of themselves, biofilms are not harmful to our fishes. They function not only as a means to sequester and process nutrients, a sort of natural filter of sorts, they also represent a beneficial food source for a variety of fishes and shrimp. Now look, I can see rare scenarios where massive amounts of biofilms relative to the water volume of the aquarium can consume significant quantities of oxygen and be problematic for fishes which reside in your tank. You know, these big explosions in biofilm growth are usually the result of adding too much botanical material too quickly into the aquarium, and they're exacerbated by insufficient oxygenation and circulation within the aquarium, and well, you know how that goes. These are very unusual circumstances, resulting from a combination of missteps by the aquarist. Yeah, it's on us. Now, typically, however, biofilms are far more beneficial than they are even remotely detrimental to our aquariums. Yeah, they're really quite useful as a form of biological filtration. Nutrients in the water column, even when in low concentrations, are delivered to the biofilm through the a complex system of water channels where they're adsorbed into a biofilm matrix where they become available to the individual cells. Now, some biologists feel that this really efficient method of gathering energy might be a major evolutionary advantage for biofilms, which live in, you know, particularly well in turbulent ecosystems like streams or, for that matter, aquariums, right, with significant flow, where the nutrient concentrations are typically lower and widely dispersed. It's a very efficient mechanism. Now, biofilms have been used successfully in water and wastewater treatment for well over 100 years. You've heard of bioballs and all that kind of stuff and rocks and things that are covered in these biofilms. In these kind of filtration systems, the filter medium, which is often sand actually, offers a, this huge surface area for these microbes to attach to and to feed upon the organic material in the water that's being treated. And the formation of biofilms upon the media consume the undesirable organics in the water, effectively filtering it. So biofilm acts as an absorbent, adsorbent, that's with a D, an adsorbent layer, look that up. And that's a layer in which organic materials and other nutrients are concentrated from the water column. And as you might suspect, higher nutrient concentrations tend to produce biofilms that are thicker and denser than those that are grown in low nutrient concentrations. Those biofilms which grow in higher flow environments like streams, you know, rivers, or exposed to wave action tend to be denser in their morphology. These biofilms tend to form long stringy filaments or streamers which point in the direction of the flow. And these biofilms are characterized, you know, by characteristics known as viscoelasticity. And what that means essentially is that they're flexible and they stretch out, you know, significantly in high flow rate environments and they contract once again when the velocity of the water flow is reduced. Makes sense. Now, it's probably way more than you want to know about the physiology of biofilms. And you're probably not going to hear that much anywhere else in the hobby because no one's as geeked out about that stuff as I am. Regardless, though, it's important for us to, as botanical you know, method aquarists to at least have a rudimentary uh, understanding of these very maligned, uh, often misunderstood, incredibly useful, and entirely underappreciated life forms. 
And as we've already mentioned, the whole idea of facilitating a microbiome in our aquariums is predicated upon supplying a quantity of botanical materials, specifically leaf litter, to, for the beneficial organisms to colonize and begin the decomposition process. An interesting study I found um, on nutrient sequestration caused by leaf litter yielded a really interesting passage. Let me read it to you. During leaf litter decomposition, microbial biomass and accumulated inorganic materials immobilize and retain nutrients, and therefore both biotic and abiotic drivers may influence detrital nutrient content. The study determined so that the leaves, like oak, that's what they studied particularly in this little stream, they immobilize nitrogen. Generally thinking, it's thought that the leaf litter acts as a kind of a sink for nutrients over time in aquatic ecosystems. That's pretty cool. Oh, and one more thing about the leaves and their resulting detritus in tropical streams. We've talked about this before, but it bears mentioning again. Is that ecologists strongly believe that microbially colonized detritus, in other words, detritus that microbes have colonized, is more palatable and a more nutritious food source for detritivores that eat them than uncolonized dead leaves. So the microbial growth which occurs in the leaves and their resulting detritus increases the nutritional quality of the detritus because the microbial biomass on the leaves is more digestible than in the leaves themselves because leaves have lignin and all this other stuff that may not be digestible to most fishes. So okay, I'm going on and on and on and on about this stuff, but the, the idea of the aquarium, or more precisely the microbiome of the aquarium acting as a filter is well worth considering. You could, and I'll say this again, you could successfully run a botanical method aquarium without a filter of any kind other than the materials contained within the tank itself. You could. I mean, this isn't really an earth-shattering concept, right? Every fucking tank in the 19th century and many in the early 20th century ran this way, right? Yeah, now I get it. These were tanks in which were, you know, they were often dominated by aquatic plants, which produced, you know, they processed the nutrients, produced oxygen, blah, 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 photosynthesis and all that stuff. But the idea here is essentially the same, creating a biological you know, system which assimilates and processes nutrients. Our urban agapo tanks use terrestrial or riparian plants and they uptake nutrients from the soil. It's all the same. Yet there's other organisms besides plants that accomplish nutrient export, right? Now, what about our old nemesis, cyanobacteria, that stringy stuff we've been taught to loathe over the years? Well, they're photosynthetic. They convert sunlight into energy and produce oxygen as a waste product. Maybe cultivating them in our filterless tanks could be a cool idea, right? <laughs> I hear you laughing and groaning now. Look, the reality is this. By making the effort to understand and cultivate the life forms that live in the aquatic environment and embracing the work they do, we can have remarkably successful aquariums. When we utilize filters as a means to supplement what nature does, that's when it gets really interesting. It doesn't make you some kind of renegade to take this position. And the reality is that I think the most valuable function of most filters is to create water movement or to facilitate surface agitation. Oh sure, they can pull out some suspended debris too if that's a real problem for you. Now don't get me wrong, I love activated carbon out of polyfilter and chemical filtration media. I love efficient, you know, efficient filtration systems. I'm a reefer by heart. But the reality is that 90% of my freshwater aquariums rely primarily on the ecology within the tank to help things going healthily. That's the filter system. My sumps and all-in-one tanks usually have no filter media in them. And I don't embrace this whole, you know, botanical method of aquarium keeping as a means to preach avoidance of keeping our tanks healthy and attractive or to avoid water exchanges because that's absolutely wrong. Rather, my obsession is with getting us all to think about nature as a partner to work with as opposed to an adversary 
to try to keep at bay. Just because some of nature's most important ecological functions may look a bit different than what we'd want them to doesn't mean that they're somehow bad. That's the one thing I hope that many hobbyists can eventually absorb. It's so vital and I think it'll create more of a sense of working with our tanks and with natural processes instead of creating a zombie-like adherence to executing you know, infrequent massive water exchanges and siphoning sessions and a reliance on expensive equipment to convince ourselves that we're doing the ultimate to manage our tanks you know, efficiently. Look, filters are great tools to use, but th- we shouldn't rely on them to manage our tanks. Learning about achieving a balance through process and practice and equipment is a simple way to dramatically improve your aquarium hobby experience. If we spend less time shopping for that you know, perfect filter and more time reading about, I don't know, say food webs or the dynamics of nutrient processing in aquatic ecosystems, I think the net result would be ha- more happy hobbyists doing cooler and more progressive stuff. I really do. Siphoning out, scrubbing, and polishing away these misunderstood natural byproducts is often so counterproductive. We spent decades fighting nature and probably not even realizing it. It's time to really understand her and make nice. Hug it out with Mother Nature. Stop the fight. Stay thoughtful. Stay curious. Stay bold. Stay efficient. Stay creative. Stay observant. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.